I just go to the restaurants that I know can accommodate, um, which I find is like any Asian restaurant they're able to do, you know, like steamed vegetables, rice or sushi. I go out for a lot. And then I've also had like some times where I've cheated and had a bit of oil, but still vegan food. And I definitely feel it. And it's definitely not something I want to get into the habit of doing. But that's, you know, I've had the tools to just get back on the train after I've had a little flare up from it. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. Here we go again with another guest who's going to inspire us and make us really, really pumped. Uh, She's going to talk about her experience with the Patterson program for rheumatoid arthritis and how she's been able to make tremendous progress with her inflammatory arthritis. She's all the way from Western Australia. G'day, Lara. G'day, Clan. How are you going? Happy to be on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. What a a treat to to be able to have an Aussie on. We haven't had an Aussie for a while. Yeah. it's super, uh, I know. super fun. And you've got a, uh, a story that you're going to share with us today. And you also said you've got some questions for me and I don't know what they are. So we're going to do those as we go. Um, we've deliberately not had any discussion about your improvements. We're going to keep this all um, real and fresh on this podcast. So why don't you uh, tell me your before and after, and then we'll get into all the details. Great. So I started the Patterson program earlier this year. It was March. March to April, and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was two. So I had a quite a different, yeah, diagnosis experience to most people in terms of can't really remember it <laughs> and don't really know life without arthritis. But yeah, I was basically on on quite a lot of drugs as a young kid, as you can imagine. Um, I think basically it was like methotrexate for the whole portion of my childhood in combination with joint injections pretty frequently and had like nine affected joints at one stage so it was pretty bad and my experience as a teen kind of once I started biologics I started Embril probably 2008 so I've been on Embril for about 10-ish years a bit over that now yeah once I started the biologics I just basically had no symptoms and led a really rich life in my teens and early 20s and I'm 26 now, and yeah, I've kind of been progressing with the Emerald. Well, I've been really lucky to have responded positively with that, but um, just trying to look at other alternatives to basically get off my medication eventually and try and supplement my lifestyle. Um, over the past few years, there's been definitely more flares and breakthrough flares on the medication, so that's been something that inspired me to start the program. But it was quite a hard process, I think, coming to terms with starting the Patterson program like I was saying it for months and all my friends were being like yeah you keep talking about it (laughs) just do the thing (laughs) and I guess I was just trying to come to terms with the fact that it was going to be a huge lifestyle change um I'm a pretty social person like a lot of my social life revolved around drinking and going out and eating really rich um, meals at restaurants in Perth so I knew that that was going to have to change and yeah it was it was actually um a conversation I had with my best friend at a dinner where I was talking about the program and basically trying to 
get some inspiration from her to just start it. And she just said something that really stuck with me. And it was like, well, if you're worrying about, I was talking about it in the context of like, people are going to think this and it's going to be annoying when I go to restaurants and I'm going to have to do this and this and this. And she was saying like, people don't actually mind. And like, if that's the way that you're going to think about starting, that's how you're going to live your life. Like, it's not going to be for you. It's just going to be for others and who's losing at the end of the day. And yeah, it was kind of like this reckoning with, you hear it all the time on the podcast with people with arthritis. Like we often are the perfectionist type personality who do a lot of, you know, have a lot of hobbies and do a lot of things and almost like burn out in a way. I think a lot of the time that's the personality that's associated with autoimmune disease. And I read a book by Gabor Mate called um, The Body Says No. I think a few guests on the podcast have talked about the book and yeah, it basically spells out personality types for people with autoimmune illness and rheumatoid is one of them he mentions in the book and yeah I think it was kind of like this huge waking moment for me just to be like I actually need to do this for myself and slow down and take the time to check in with my body and and yeah the program was started in that light. You work as a lawyer and uh, because of COVID you've transitioned to home Um, yeah has has that also been a blessing in some ways for you to be able to spend the time getting into this in more detail, being able to prepare the foods, being able to even look at exercise. And, the, and of course, I'm, I don't know how much you're doing of that. We're going to get into all that in a moment. But, um, you know, you've got that that career that you're trying to uh, preserve, but moving it to a home-based job has been really helpful yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it was definitely part of that last year being like, if not now, when? And a lot of guests on the podcast have said the same thing, like you have all the opportunity to do the prep for the food at home as well. That made it much easier. And yeah, I guess coming out of a really social um, time in my life to yeah, more downtime and being able to yeah rearrange at home life on the program, that has been very helpful. At the same time, I think with um, like there was a few times where the Bikram studios would close he couldn't go to yoga and I find it quite hard to do that at home. So that was kind yeah. of like the downside to lockdown as well. Yeah, don't we all? I think, yeah. you know, the number of times I've actually gone start to finish at home doing a Bikram sequence so uh, on my own, you know, maybe it's only a dozen. Oh, look, on my honeymoon, believe it or not, on the honeymoon <laughs> with my wife, we we're going around Hawaii to, we're, for three weeks. We went uh, just sightseeing around Hawaii. And uh, I did the full sequence twice per day on my honeymoon. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, a lot of time involved. I mean, not the ideal way to spend a honeymoon, but that's been our relationship, Melissa. Yeah. We've had to accommodate, you know, uh, arthritis yeah, as part of our, our relationship. It's like the third member. But anyway, um, <laughs> so your friend gave you a wonderful, wonderful way of looking at this, which is... Mm you know, are you going to be on the outside or are you going to be someone who one day has positive story to share? Yeah, to share? exactly. Um, it's only been, what, like six months or something as we're recording this now since you actually started. So you decided to start, you you jumped in and how did you experience the uh, inflammation um, after you got started? Because you said that the Ember wasn't quite holding the condition at bay as much as what it had in the past. Yeah. Yeah, so when I started, so last year I had tried to go off my medication. My rheumatologist is really big on, uh, there's been periods where I've been off medication for like two years at a time, so gone into remission on the embryo, 
got off it for a, a period of time and then started it again when there's been like an out of control flare. And she's really good at that in terms of her her specialty is kind of like pain management. So if I'm not in any pain, she'll be like, let's come off the emerald. And I've been lucky enough that I've never had any antibodies develop. Like it's been fine when I've gone back on it. Um, so I came off it at the beginning of last year and I was just really flaring in my knees and it started to get a bit out of control. So I had it in my elbow and my shoulder and never really in my hands or feet, which has been quite lucky, but yeah, it's a big joint, like the elbows, the shoulders, the knees, I get really bad in my hips as well. Um, so I guess that was kind of like this really disappointing part or point in my life because I always kind of assumed that I could control it. Once I'd gone into remission, there'd been like periods of long remission and that was a really short period. And yeah, it was just devastating going back to the rheumatologist and her being like, okay, let's start you back on the embryo. And you're like, no, I thought I was fine. I think and you always have that thought of like, what did I do kind of thing. But um, yeah, the beast came back and I just felt like I never really got back to normal after that flare. Like my knee's been funny ever since. And yeah, the embryo wasn't getting me completely back into remission, which I usually had. Um, so I started the program kind of like wanting to deal with all of those issues. Um, and yeah, I pretty, pretty much had like instant success. Um, the two weeks were like my inflammation reduced a lot. When I started, I'd actually had a recent infection. So I got my wisdom teeth out. So I wasn't taking the embryo at that stage because I wasn't allowed. So I had three weeks off the embryo and my knee was like pretty inflamed and I couldn't couldn't really bend it all the way up um but those two days of the juice cleanse like I was able to have full range of motion in my knee like it was insane people were like this is not real you know you show them photos of like this is yesterday <laughs> this is today they're like what <laughs> that's crazy so yeah that was like a pretty good indication that I should keep going um, isn't that and I found, it, sorry you know that that just um no. it always gives me such pleasure and delight when I think back to my first experience of that, which was by accident with food poisoning, and I essentially was not able to eat for, for a day and, you know, cleansing myself from both ends. And after all that was out of my body, at, like you, it felt like an instantaneous, it was like a miracle cure, you know, yeah. not eating yeah. is like the ultimate miracle cure. for Yeah, it's like if only we could survive not eating. <laughs> I know, so I bad. Know. But what, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, whenever they've studied this on any different sort of animal and they restrict calories, so they don't give them quite as much as the animal wants to eat, those animals live longer and have less disease than their mm. counterparts who can mm. just eat as they want and so forth. So under eating is one of the greatest longevity strategies that we have. Yeah. Um, it's just you, they've never done the study on humans because no human ever, ever wants to undereat. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's probably something that our society is built around food, you know, so it's like it's always going to be difficult to – I remember when I started the program, I lost weight pretty quickly and it made people around you, like, pretty uncomfortable, you know. Even though I felt so good in my, my joints felt the best I'd ever felt, it was like people around you were like, why are you losing weight? Like who is this guy, Clint? <laughs> What's this program you're doing? So, yeah, it, it's kind of like it's a it's a weird thing to come to terms with that that helps so much. But I find like even now if I do a two-day cleanse, like it, it just resets me and I feel really good if I need that, you know. It's always like a tool that you can use going forward. Yeah, 
Yeah, and especially just for two days, you know, you don't really need yeah. any medical supervision or any kind of um, uh, additional care put in place yeah. as long as you're someone's around you, you know, someone's keeping yeah. an eye on you, um, and yeah. it's just for a couple of days. And the and the fact that the, we do have the green juice that you're drinking in, in addition to eating some yeah. plain salads, you know, there are things moving through to eliminate waste. You're not just, uh, I prefer yeah. that. And it's just a preference. Um, just to keep things moving just a little bit yeah. because, you know, I just found that worked for me and that's, why, that's yeah. why, why it is in place. So you've had that immediate in your story, your immediate re- reduction in symptoms, uh, swelling has gone down in the knees, you're able to, re- you know, get more range of motion and then you've reintroduced the food. So how did the pain levels uh, compare, say, two, three, four weeks in compared to how they'd been prior? Yeah, so I started, I was still off the embryo because I wanted to see how, like, I really wanted to have, like, my natural body's response to the program. And before I started the program, it was, it was kind of like a week. I took a weekly dose. So by the end of the week, I'd be like, I really need this. It got to the point where it was like kind of four days in and I'd be like, oh, I need, I'm in so much pain. I need another um, injection. And then I lasted, I think, seven weeks on the program without needing any in the first instance. So the pain was there, but it was like really low levels of pain. Um, and I loved it because I could really tell when I eat, when I ate something like what the pain response was. I feel like if I was on the embryo, I wouldn't have been able to tell. I wouldn't have had that experience and not advocating for anyone to take matters into their own hands, but I did. And <laughs> I think my rheumatologist was always really supportive of like, just take it as much as you need it. You know, your body. Um, even to this day, she she knows I'm not taking a weekly dose, and she's quite supportive of me just taking it when I need it. It's enormously um, liberating to have that approval from your doctor. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the sort of relationship with a rheumatologist that we all are striving for. Is one yeah. that says, "Okay, look, the evidence is there to support what you're doing. Um, yeah. It's not my area of expertise, but." I can tell you in my area of expertise, which is all of the medication side of things, that whilst you don't develop antibodies, then it sounds like, you know, being able to intermittently use that biologic uh, yep. is not having any negative sort of consequences from my perspective. But, I mean, that's, <laughs> I just love the way that you've interacted with her and the love how she's yeah. gone about this. Same. And she's really... um supportive of the Patterson program she'd never heard of it before but I told her about it and she yeah she, it was really interesting I said to her she um noticed that my fingernails looked anemic and I was like yeah I'm low in iron but I'm gonna get an iron transfusion and she, she said oh there's also ways you can get iron through plants on a plant-based diet and it was kind of like the first time a health professional had ever not scared me for being vegan you know like you get that response from a lot of health professionals where it's like oh you mm-hmm. you I got told once from a GP, you have to eat a room full of mushrooms to ever get an, enough iron from a plant-based diet. And it's like that's not the only way you can get iron, you know. It's mm. it's really um, it was really enlightening, and I yeah have a lot of respect for her. Mm. Mm. And she's yeah she's super supportive. So yeah, it took it took a bit of time to um, reintroduce foods, but I think I kind of had the safety net as well of the emerald, so that if I kind of knew that if I ever introduce something that I had a massive flare to you know I still had my medication um and for that reason I got back into like the fat probably pretty soon after 
the avocado I introduced, I think, two months after starting. Um, and that was fine. Um, but yeah, still don't have like a lot of fat. I notice this difference if I do have a lot of fat, especially with like the nut butters, can't have too much. And I do the sprouting of the nuts before I eat them. That seems to help with digesting. Yeah, um, nut butters and sprouted whole nuts are entirely different foods. I mean, yeah. when you've got a nut butter, it's immediately oxidized because its yeah. outer shell is broken. You've got massive cross-sectional area exposed to oxygen. And you've just got instant oxidization like you have when you bite into an apple. You see it with yeah. the apple. You don't see it with the, with the spread yeah. nuts over the, especially if you've it's bought it. True. If you didn't do it yourself and you've bought this, how long, how many months has that, mm. has that become a, an unrecognizable food by turning it yeah. into a sludge and putting it into a jar? Yeah, so, so true. But if you're soaking actual like raw nuts, then you've pretty much just taken something directly from the way it would have been in nature, in mm. its own package. Its waters come from the from you know the skies. This, these sort of things would have been eaten in our biological history for as long as human beings have been walking around. So nuts, yeah, yeah. so exactly. very different, very different. Um, and also, of course, all of the reasons that we go into in the book about why the soaking also reduces yeah. the inflammatory process. But, yeah, yeah. It, well, that's all interesting. So mm-hmm. um, where are you now with regards to this fine dance between andral doses, the way you eat, your exercise? How do you? What's your little balance at the moment? So I also did Bikram a lot when I started the program, and I think that really helped in terms of reducing inflammation and it was kind of like the perfect exercise for where I was at at that time, I guess. I wasn't really feeling like being in the gym or doing much cardio. I was, I'd lost a bit of weight and just really wanted to focus on like getting my knee back to strength. So I was doing physio and Bikram. And yeah, it's helped me to be able to pace out the diet and the Bikram and all of it to pace out the embryo. And I'm still, I think it's been about eight weeks now since my last 50 milligram dose. And I think it's more, I, I listened to the most recent podcast. I think Melissa said it's kind of like this emotional attachment to the meds. I think I have the same, it's almost like a safety net and I don't really know if I need it, but I, I think there's times where I have a bit of a painful day and I'm like, okay, it's time, but it's probably just like mentally I'm a bit anxious to be completely off the medication. But I've done a lot of research as well and I think it's probably at like the three-month mark that you start to have no embryo left in your system so i'm hoping to get there soon and yeah maybe see if i notice anything really different that's interesting i do not know the data on that i know that one of our guests around about eight months ago um i think her name was cara and she was on humira and she was going from every two weeks and then after she'd been on the patterson program for several months she was able to stretch to 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 like three weeks then four weeks and her rheumatologist was exactly like yours and again another lady female rheumatologist and it's just mm-hmm. coincidental and so you've got female patient female rheumatologist on biologics and everyone involved happy to spread the doses and keep yeah. an eye on the antibodies so it was identical right and yeah. um when i spoke to her she was on a 90 day interval at that point so which is wow. three three months, which is exactly what you said. Mm. So this three-month mark, there might be um, 
the data might be around mm. three months for the amount of, you know, for, for the body to completely clear from the biologic. Yeah, I don't know. I've not been able to find like a definitive, like online it says different things in different studies, but I, in terms of like anecdotal evidence, most people I think flare after three months. Um, and yeah, certainly something that I don't, I just get nervous that it's going to happen and I don't, yeah, I just feel like I'm under, in so much control right now. I'm not in a rush to get completely off it, but I, I don't feel dependent on it anymore. And it's just crazy that I was literally going week to week, not feeling like it was enough. And like some of my friends look at my kneecap now and they're just like, that's insane. Like your knee has never looked that good. And it's just like, yeah, this knee's always been a problem. I'm doing like single leg squats. Like it's really insane. Guys, you know, I, feel like saying a prayer just just yeah. feel like saying thank you god like literally like i just yeah. that's how i feel right in this moment yeah. just give thanks to to god that is just incredible it's single really leg squatting yeah i find lunges really good too you know i, yeah. I don't mean to make any adjust what you're doing don't change it but i'm just saying that most leg exercises that work are all variations of the same thing if you think yeah. about a squat a single leg squat, a lunge, step ups, they're all just the same exact action, which is a simple forward movement with the quad contracting and lifting up the knee and then pushing back down again. That is mm. all of the, you know, you don't need to be a genius to work out how to work <laughs> on, your, on your knees, right? Yeah. And by, by contrast, just about every other thing that is not that stirs up the knees, things like yeah. ham, hamstring curls. And, you know, uh, things like, uh, well, th- I have to think hard because they're all things I don't have in my life because I don't yeah, do that, them. That's like, interesting because leg, leg presses at the gym when you're inverted, anything yeah. that's just not what we've just been talking about tends to stir stuff up. So you were going to say something? Yeah, no, I, I think the hamstring curls really do. They don't do well for me. Anything with, like, pressure on the hamstring. I actually found Bikram. When I was doing it regularly, the ham, so the um, single-legged poses, like the bow and even like forehead to knee, if I was putting too much pressure on my knee, it would really hurt. And I think it was like a hamstring, kind of like um, referred pain. Like it felt like it was in the hamstring, but it, it would irritate the knee. And I think just because my knee is so sensitive, that joint has had so much inflammation in it over my mm. life. Um, mm. Yeah, they don't do well. I tell you what I like to do. And I'm working on strengthening it. Yeah. Um, Just test this. It sounds like you've got your little perfect Lara routine for your knees that's working. And and when we have that, it's precious, right? That is your Mm. custom little routine. Each of us have to find what is it, what do we emphasize within that range of knee sort of activities? What is it that works best for us at that time. Mm. And so you sound like you've got that nailed in. I can tell you right for me what I like to do at this moment that I, I find, you know, just because I was never able to do this very well. And I like doing this now. So at night, it's funny, I talk, you know, just mentioned God and I just, again, I, you know, I'll just kneel in front of my bed and just say a short prayer. I've been doing that, you know, for a very long time. And it's very simple. But then what I do is then I, instead of leaning forward over the bed, I then lean back as if I'm going to get into what's in Bikram terms, you'll know, as a fixed firm pose. And for those people who don't know, it's just 
basically attempting to sit on in between your heels. So you're, you know, you're trying to sit down on your heels, but your feet are just out a little bit to allow room for your bottom to sit on the floor. Now, I have never, ever, and I don't remember far back enough to ever remember if I've ever been able to sit on my heels. I can't remember the feeling. So yeah. I've touched my bottom to my heels in Bikram before, but I've never been able to sit down. So what I do is I just actually attempt to do that each night uh, for a little while. And you get a really, and I don't use my hands. So I get a really good burn in the quads and the connective yeah. tissue above the kneecap. And so that connective tissue, those tendons are just hanging on, trying to hold me in that position. And I'll hold mm-hmm. that for 30, 40 seconds and then release. And I stand up and do a quad stretch. And that little thing, I just feel like that's just so, that's um, such a good little maintenance thing. So I don't mm-hmm. use my hands. I just hold. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I go no, into a full camel. Mm. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's really, I love the Bikram. It's been such a, um, I don't know, it's just so enlightening. I think all yoga, when you just can really feel your body's limits, like not more, not every exercise gives you that sense of like checking in with your mm. limits and doing that alongside the program. It was It made it so much more obvious, my improvement um, in my range of motion and strength. And yeah, now I'm like swimming, I'm doing, I'm back in the gym so I'm not doing regular break, break from anymore, but I still do the odd class here and there. Um, and I'm yeah swimming and doing my gym workouts, which I feel like I'm really ready for now. Put on some That's muscles. amazing. So would it be fair to say that you've gone through this process in the most um, conventional way? And I mean that as follows, is that you've started out, you've had a little bit of weight loss, then you've maintained pain reduction even though you've reintroduced safe foods because those foods are strategically selected to keep inflammation low, you've then been able to utilize uh, exercise in a way that you weren't before because your symptoms are lower, so you're able to do more. That in turn has contributed to more healing, more confidence, and then you've been able to put the weight back on and get strong again. Your arms look very strong. You don't look like someone, to me, who has anything other than their ideal body weight. And so, um, you know, it does seem like you have uh, uh, gone through and uh, <laughs> my kids are knock- knocking on the glass. <laughs> um, could you hear that? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So trying to get my attention. And I'm like, yeah. go away, go away. Um, <laughs> so it, it does seem like everything has just gone perfectly in the way that it's sort of expected to, you know, that, yeah, yeah, look, we'd love it for it just to be no pain, no effort, no exercise. And and you just get there, but there there is this sort of process that the yeah. body has to go through. Yeah, and it's so funny because like I think whenever I have a little hiccup, you know, it's like sometimes it's like three steps forward, two steps back. If you know, I, my knee feels a bit weaker one week, and I'm just like, okay, I need to take a week off. Um, and then at the same time, I often think I've like reached my peak, you know, healing. I'm like, I feel so good. And then the week after I'll just feel so much better. And I'll be like, Oh my God, I, I feel way better. You know, like it just keeps going. It's like you plateau and then there's still more healing that's being done. You're just not conscious as conscious of it maybe because it's just become normal now, like the food, but yeah, it just gets better. And then, yeah, it's just, I I was saying to my partner, like probably a few months ago when I had to do the embryo, I was like, oh, I'm just so disappointed. You know, I get really sad when I feel like I have to do it. And he was like, you've made so much progress. Like it's been 
not even a year, like just just like take a step back and look at how much progress you've made. I was like, yeah, and I do constantly just feel better, able to introduce more foods. Yeah, and, and I think, I yeah, I just found a really good balance of like knowing when I've pushed it. It's like intuitive now. I don't really have to do the reintroducing. I just know if I eat something different, I'll just have a sense of like, oh, I, I overdid that or I'm, I'm triggered from that food. It's not as strict as I was in the beginning with the program. So I think you kind of learn to just, listen to this intuitive sense of what is and is not good for you. Mm. I forget the four stages of competency, but the, the, the early ones, but the later stages is, is an unconscious competency, meaning that you basically, you just got it. It's like you understand mm. how to speak the English language when you're a little person, you develop it, and then it doesn't become something that you have to think about. Yeah. And yeah. in the same way, you just develop this relationship with the food with your exercise, with every joint, there's a relationship. You know what it likes, what it doesn't yeah. like, and you build this routine, a life routine that supports that joint, that supports your overall strength, uh, supports yeah. you know being able to also accommodate going out at night to restaurants, and mm. you just you yeah. make it you make it work. So, how yeah. has your social interactions been as a result? Was it like your friend said, and eventually they'll understand? Your friends will just run with it. Yeah, I think it was really hard in the beginning, like when you can't really go out to restaurants um, for like, it, it wasn't that long, but it does feel like you're always going to be eating such a restricted diet when you've started. I think you can't imagine like getting to where I am now very quickly and it doesn't happen quickly. So I found that really hard, but yeah, now it, my friends are so supportive. Like you just, obviously the people that aren't supportive it shows but no one has not been supportive so it's been really lucky um I just go to the restaurants that I know can accommodate um which I find is like any Asian restaurant they're able to do you know like steamed vegetables rice or sushi I go out for a lot and then I've also had like some times where I've cheated and had a bit of oil but still vegan food and I definitely feel it and it's definitely not something I want to get into the habit of doing but that's you know I've had the tools to just get back on the train after I've had a little flare up from it. I, d- I did have a, um, I posted on Instagram a photo of this salad I had at one restaurant. It was like a Brussels sprout salad, but it was actually just deep fried Brussels sprouts. And I had like five of them and I was like, I can't eat this. Like, it's just going to be terrible tomorrow. And it was like my elbow blew up and I, it probably took me about a week, which isn't that long, but a week to get back to like normal pain levels. Mm. So there's definitely some places where I just have been too lazy to check the menu before and have gone there and been like, oh, there's nothing here I can eat. Or I thought a salad was an actual salad. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, deep fried yeah. process, but I should just ask, but I'm still yeah, getting there with that. <laughs> I still feel like a bit of a, a hassle. <laughs> sure. Sure. I've seen some other, um, I've, I've heard of other people in our community who have shown me the sort of requests that they've made at restaurants and believe me, you're, you're not a hassle. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, there's, there's so many more extremes that you could take it. And to be fair, it's not just folks who eat plant-based diet, but there are so mm. many weird and wonderful combinations of dietary modifications yeah. that chefs must get these days. It must be awful yep. to be a chef. Someone comes in and says, you know, it's like the jokes, you know, like, I need it to be gluten-free and I can't have any of that and any of that and I'm allergic to, you know, shellfish and you'd just yeah. be like, oh, my gosh, like 
the complexity. And I've worked in hospitality, so I know what they're saying behind the counter. They're like, and I guess it's just another, yeah, kind of, I think it's probably just a revolution that our society is making now where they'd have to be more accommodating. Every restaurant has vegan options now, which like I was vegan actually back in 2016, 17, and I found it more difficult then to eat out than it is now for sure. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of good places. Jap- Japanese is always a, a staple. I used to always mm. um, order the steamed rice and then some miso soup. And I developed, yeah. you know, my, my mega miso soup meal, which is, you know, the rice and then you put on dulse seaweed and then you put in some miso paste and mix it all together. That was developed on the road. I was entertaining on a cruise ship somewhere between Korea and Japan. We actually... the cruise ship traveled between those destinations and I was performing on the cruise ship and I was getting off and thinking what do I eat because it's you can only take with you a Tupperware container of food so long all right and then you're on the cruise ship food yeah okay and so when we were docking at ports I was like okay where can I go I'm in the Asian world I need to work this out and so I was just going to restaurants and just ordering heaps and heaps of steamed rice me so and then I was just mixing them together and eating. and that's how it came about. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. Yeah, the kids are into it now. Ariel, our middle child, she loves it. Oh, she asked for it. it today. Miso, nice. oh, miso. You know, it's so <laughs> funny because you develop a taste for it, don't you? And it becomes. Yeah, you definitely do. I was having um, miso paste on rice crackers the other day, and <laughs> my boyfriend was like, What is that? I was like, It's like Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's so good. Um, um, so, no, I think it's definitely a process getting back to restaurants, but I. I definitely want to stress that when you're in those first few weeks of the program, if you're starting out, it's not going to be like that forever. It's definitely become so much more flexible and you just get used to those different foods. You do. And you find your local restaurants as you've, as you said, you've done. So for us, it's Mexican. So we'll, we'll eat at Mexican restaurants and you can just eat beans and rice at Mexican restaurants. Mm. You just check they don't cook their beans in pig fat, which surprisingly more than, more than just a couple actually do, but if they're vegetarian beans, they have beans and rice. And then if we're at a, um, you know, for an Indian restaurant, I always have their Indian yellow food. dal, taka dal, any kind of, not any kind, sorry. Most of their dals are often just, you know, the lentils and then with spices added. Some have a little ghee, some are cooked in yeah. a little oil. Uh, well, you cross that bridge once you can graduate to that level. And if yeah. you're okay with the ghee, like, you know, if you're strict vegan, maybe not, but you know, I don't mind the odd little bit of ghee here and there if it enables yeah. me to eat with my family. Um, it also has a ratio of one to one for essential fats between omega three and omega six, and that's that's good, you know. Yeah. So I'm not saying go and eat it deliberately. I'm saying you might find it's just it's yeah. fine. It's better than oil if we're talking about you know fatty acid ratios. So yeah, uh, that's great. And then you know we did talk about again the Japanese restaurants. So those three options you can always pick up mm. some some cucumber rolls or whatever at a, at a sushi yeah. place. So you can yeah, it's that is not the problem, you know. Yeah, that is not um, the another tip that um, I found. I was listening to a podcast and I forgot her name, but a lady was. I really was sad that I couldn't have oats for a while because I loved oats, and I was getting really stiff from them. Probably took me about two and a half months, but. A lady on the program was saying that she drinks her green juice straight after she eats her oats. And I started doing that and it was like next level work. I could just have oats from then on. So that's a big tip if anyone, I don't know, just kind of trying to find 
things within the program that work for you and listen to the podcast because there's so many tips. That, that is fantastic. Given. Was that yeah. on our podcast? Yeah, yours. I forgot who it was, but yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to try it and it worked. So yeah, it was okay. Really good. Well, I'd forgotten that one. So uh, drink a green juice, celery, cucumber juice with or just after the oats, and that will uh, help mm. the oats become Digestion. less. Yeah, because we know there's so many benefits to the microbiome from, the, from eating mm. oats. So yeah, if we can, I call it cheat them in, cheat in the foods yeah. that we want to eat somehow. You know, I used to be at a um, uh, sometime at a particular uh, airport, again, traveling, right? It's hard when you're traveling. And I used to eat hot chips, so French fries, and cheat them with uh, baby spinach. I'd buy a baby spinach <laughs> bag and eat hot chips and then have some spinach, hot chip spinach, which is the most weirdest flavor combination. But yeah, you, know, you, you do these weird things when, you, when yeah. you're trying to make sure that you don't get inflammation. Yeah, definitely. That, yeah, there's always a way that you can, I don't know, modify so that it suits you. How does life feel now, given that you were party Lara and now you're health advocate Lara? Uh, tell me what it feels like to be you now compared to before. So, yeah, it's like very different, I think, my attitude towards life. I feel so much calmer just like way more grounded. And I think that just comes from like a sense of knowing myself a bit better, like just really taking that time to focus on my body and my health. And yeah, I feel like I've really slowed down. I think that's probably a product of not being hungover or going out and staying up late and all those things that you do when you're young, just really, yeah, grounding myself. And I've kind of always had, my mum is very healthy and she, when I was a kid, she was really into the holistic stuff. Like we would she would do acupuncture for me and I went to like quite a lot of naturopaths so it kind of felt like this like cycle of coming back like I felt like I was always gonna that was always a part of it and I was always gonna come to that but I just had to like go yeah it was always like this cycle and I've gone back to where I always felt like I needed to be does that make sense like I always really wanted to be focusing more on my health and I never I never liked the idea that I had to be on medication like I've never felt comfortable with that notion Mm. Diagnosed from two. I mean, you have just been through the ringer. It, it reminds me a little bit of um, Katie, who you would have yeah, seen Katie. if you've watched it. Katie, um, she was diagnosed at one, also was on methotrexate from aged one. She went through exactly like yourself and got to her teenage years on methotrexate before becoming one of the very, very first adopters of Enbrel. Um, mm, she's, wow, yeah. she's just turned 30 so she may have been on her enbrel just maybe two three four years before you did or mm -hmm. well let me just say that uh yeah she would have been about 15 years ago or something like that that she started enbrel put it that way yeah so yeah you know you've only known arthritis you've only known you know yeah yeah but you had in, many years in a way, where you were... i think in a way maybe it's a bit easier because I, I hear these diagnosis stories now and I'm like, it would have just been so confusing knowing, not knowing, because I think a lot of the symptoms for arthritis are different. Like they're not textbooks. So a lot of people's experience is so different from others. And you hear these stories of misdiagnosis and I just would have been, yeah, almost like not knowing any different has helped. Like, obviously I don't remember the traumatic parts of the diagnosis. And I think for a lot of people that it would have just been so hard to have known life without it and then have to just do this huge adjustment and grieving process. Whereas 
it's kind of always been there for me. I don't know if it's easier or just different. I admire that viewpoint. I think that you're being kind by by adopting that viewpoint. And I think <laughs> that it shows that, you know, a wonderful aspect of your personality. And I feel like I'm just, you know, getting to know you more and more and more as we chat, this being the first time. Because what it tells me is that your interpretation of the stack of cards that you've been handed is in some ways not necessarily worse than someone who was diagnosed as an adult. And mm-hmm. it, takes a, it takes a very special human to at least even entertain that that could be a possibility. And so, you know, hats off to you. That is a, that is a, a helpful and a supportive insight and interpretation. And it's a healing and, a, and a, as I said, a healthy interpretation because mm-hmm. you can't go back in time and change it. You cannot change that. So to yeah. say to yourself, you know what, there are some benefits of having this is very admirable. And I think that that all contributes to a happier life. Yeah, definitely. Your perspective on, I don't think that the victim mentality helps at all in this disease. Exactly. Definitely. It does it's all not. Moving forward. It does not. The way that I got through that was to say, there's got to be a reason. That's what I hung on to. So I never got into, I never and have never fallen into the victim. I mm. have always thought, what the hell caused this? And how do I yeah. stop it? A very logical um, mindset approach and applied yeah. all my energy towards that, um, yeah. which has helped me. If something's wrong, fix it. Take action. That's been my, yeah. my whole and way it of dealing so with it. so many people. <laughs> oh yeah well yeah. i think that yeah because we can get so caught up in the all of us could easily say this is the crappiest disease in the world there's you know go through the no cure it's lifelong you know you can keep symptoms down but then we could stir them up we have to eat in a way to keep them down the drugs are nasty the disease is nasty yeah and we can yeah sure we can spend time there but does it mm. help does it yeah. help? It doesn't. And we just need really. to say, okay, we know that that's the truth. We know that that exists, but we also can focus in, a, in a, our energy somewhere else and just yeah. not to spend time there. You know, you yeah. see a lot of people spending time there on these free online forums and they go there and then someone comes along and uh, says, hey, I've just changed, but I'm doing really well. And then you get the the long-term rheumatoid miseries coming in saying, nah, nah, nah. and I know they, they don't watch this yeah. podcast because this is too much. Hey, you can take responsibility yeah. here. And there are some things that you can do and that doesn't appeal yeah. to a lot of people and that's okay. Totally. That's okay. Yeah. That's there's fine. a lot of people that you can tell haven't really made peace with their disease. And I see that so often on like Facebook groups and it's right. a hard thing definitely, but it, it's not, yeah, I don't, I feel like that because if you're, if you're stressed about the disease, that's just going to create more of a exactly. feedback loop in your body. You know, you really have to, to teach your body a different way of thinking. There's an element of fake it till you make it going on. And, and, and there really is a situation where when you feel good and you think you're improving and you convince yourself enough from the evidence that you're experiencing with your inflammation that you're actually getting better, that, yeah. that has a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way that's unquantifiable and unscientific, but it just somehow yeah. helps. 
And when we think we're getting worse and we're, we're, we're worried about it, just like you said, that too plays out. So yeah. once that's why we got to celebrate every victory, anything small, like, you know what? My elbow feels just that little bit better this week than last week. That needs to be the focus of our thoughts, what we talk about. And we got to build that and, and just let the universe know and our mind know that's the direction that we are going yeah. and we want you to, to deliver Definitely. on. Definitely. Mm. And I think, yeah, it's so true of like when you've had a bad week, uh, for instance, at work, I'm just that little bit stiffer the next week. My mindset is a huge part of it. I think when I'm stressed, I notice I get stiffer and more pain. And that's something that is yeah part of the program for me. I was, um, yeah, I was really enjoying yoga for that reason as well. You have the set aside time for Shavasana and meditating. Yeah. And the positive yes. affirmations as well. Um, you know, I like to often say when I'm feeling so good and I have no symptoms, like I don't have arthritis anymore. Like, what's that? Like, you know, you just try to push it to the, as far back as you can. Um, yeah, it's easy to do that when you have no symptoms. And then it's, you kind of forget that you have this disease and it should be that way because I think the more you think about it, the more likely it is to be obvious. Mm. There's a really good conversation with Dr. Nisha Manik in the summit that we're about to have um, that I think was one of the only things we talked about briefly before we hit record mm -hmm. here. She talks about how we can create our future and this concept of focused intention, which can manifest, you know, the, uh, mm -hmm. the outcomes that we want. And this is all, um, you know, wonderful discussion that I have with Dr. Manic, rheumatologist, right? Rheumatologist saying awesome. you can, the focused intention is a healing process. And um, so that's fascinating. It just supports exactly what we've been, mm. we've been talking about here. So has your relationships improved with your mother, your, your boyfriend, others? I mean, tell us about, uh, have your relationships mostly improved? Yeah, definitely. I think my partner and I have yeah become much more of a team like he's been so supportive and I work full-time so he works from home so if I'm you know having a busy week he'll make the juices for me and prepare dinner and he's been doing pretty much the program with me like he'll eat all the same meals as me and is really enjoying it too um yeah I think everyone's just happy for me to just see me doing so well like friends and family everyone's just yeah surprised as well a lot of people are like that's insane can't believe it um, mm. But yeah, definitely improved relationships. I think it's just this really kind of like symbolic, like any change in your life that just brings you to like the next um, chapter. And I think it's just been this like real big change that's kind of like it will divert the course of how I live in the future. And I think, yeah, your relationships obviously change as a result of personal changes. It's great. Uh, you had some questions for me. Why don't we take care of those yeah. and then we can bring this to a close. Okay, great. So I kind of just wanted your advice, fermented foods, like how often do you think is prudent to be eating those? I noticed like when I'm having sauerkraut in my salads every day, a little bit of stiffness, but I'm not sure. I often can't put it down to the sauerkraut, but I'm wondering if there's such thing as too much fermented foods and I'm, I'm struggling to find like a consistent information online, but in your experience, if there's any, mm. any advice. There's an answer that I want to give, and then there's an answer that is what I have to give. So 
the answer that I want to give is that there is scientific evidence to show that the consumption of fermented foods improves the diversity of our gut bacteria. Therefore, we should eat them freely as often as we like, given that the ingredients in the most purest form are cabbage, maybe some other plant, and some mm. salt, right? Yeah. There's nothing in there that is concerning, worrisome, or anything that we should avoid. Mm. However, unfortunately, I cannot just give that answer. Because working with so many people over so many years, I hear the same story that you've just given, which is attempting to add fermented foods frequently, like daily, to yeah. you know eating patterns, tends to cause a little bit of reaction. And yeah. I can't explain it. I don't know why. I don't think the use of salt is excessive in these particularly uh, locally made, naturally produced fermented foods. Um, yeah. Is it the, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. And it's complex because then we're talking about how those foods interact with each individual's gut bacteria. And you're going to have a different interaction with every individual because yeah. no two people have the same microbiome. Yeah. I eat fermented foods frequently. I have a there's a locally made one that we love. It the ingredients are cabbage, cumin seeds, you know those cumin seeds mm. and turmeric and that's it. And then of course they add some salt. And you know I just I thrive on that. I like that except the, it tends to create a little wind. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit gassy after the sauerkraut. <laughs> That's the only side effect that I notice, but it's individual, yeah. isn't it? It just comes yeah. down to individual. So try a different brand, try a different locally different made one. one. Yeah, try yeah. it. And you've got to be careful. And this is for our folks in the US. There are some really famous brands that are found at Whole Foods that appear to be perfectly uh, 100% traditionally you know, homemade that have mm. been flash heated. Okay, so the enzymatic activity that we're so hopeful in, in getting into us has been destroyed. And so I, I won't mention brand names, but just try and get something that's small, manually, small, uh, small volume made locally is always going to be the best. Yeah, cool. Mm. Um, and then just a question about, so like when eating packaged foods, that are still, you know, un unprocessed, you know, like they're processed, but they don't have additives or preservatives. Like I've noticed there might still be a reaction. And I don't know if I'm wondering if there's something. So, for example, with the buckwheat rice cakes type stuff and um, even like bread, sourdough bread from like your Coles or Woolworths that is like you look at the ingredients and there's nothing suspicious in there, but you feel a little bit. Like there's, it's not as, um, yeah, it just makes me feel a bit stiff still. And I'm just wondering if you think the processed, how that kind of processed nature contributes to inflammation, even though the ingredients might only be like buckwheat and salt. It's a good question. I too can recall 
going through this period where I was trying to get onto these snacky sort of things. So we're sort of talking about snacks now. Yeah. And I don't eat them. I don't eat them anymore. And I think that I don't eat them anymore because it's been a while since I was trying to move through that sequence because I experienced the same as what you have, which is they just don't quite assimilate as gently and as unimpactfully, if that's a word, as what uh, the natural version of the same foods are. And I've found other snacks that are whole foods that are delicious and can be transported and carried around easily that aren't processed. And so as specifically why something like a cracker that is just made out of foods that you can already tolerate that have no apparent preservatives or or additives or whatever, why does that seem inflammatory for the body? I mean, all I can speculate is that maybe the fiber has been removed from the the food. So if we look at, for instance, you know, um, with white, well, if we look at white rice, it's still a processed food, which has had a lot of the key ingredients removed from its original brown rice. So a rice cracker is probably made from white rice. So it's already missing half of its goodness. And then how do they make it? Obviously, there's a lot of heat involved. So any Mm. kind of heat sensitive plant materials that your body is used to is not in that food and i think you know i'm i'm just searching for an explanation that ultimately is going to come down to a summary of being it's just somewhat foreign it's just not yeah. a food that your body can say well that's that i recognize that because it's biologically compatible yeah. and if we're if we're otherwise healthy and we've never had an autoimmune disease, the body is just like a big grinding machine and grind down everything. But when we're hypersensitive with an autoimmune disease, where anything that enters the bloodstream could irritate the heck out of us, we're got to be really, really cautious. And yeah. in the future, you might be able to eat those without problem. But right now, if you're looking for some snacks to, to get your bite, um, like I like dates. Like, look at just getting yeah, some medjool dates. And the only downside with dates, like, there's no negative impact of eating lots of dates, except they can really destroy your teeth enamel. So mm. you got to watch that. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you're worried about weight gain, which most of us aren't, but just covering everyone, if someone's a little overweight, they're about sixty calories a date. If you're looking at medjool yeah, okay. dates, which are the ones I eat their delicious mm. big fat medjool dates so you can eat quite a lot of excess calories if you're eating them all the time yeah. so yeah the only two downsides. i was reading a, a, a read a very long article from ocean robbins that went through all the studies just the other day hit my inbox and i read it enthusiastically because i'm like i want to know if there's anything bad about dates <laughs> they're the only two <laughs> things and he no. didn't even mention the enamel. I worked out the enamel the hard way. I did, a, <laughs> I did a raw food diet for six, for eight months. And oh, yeah. Let me tell you, when you eat that much fruit, you got to watch your enamel. That's true. Mm. That's mm. true. No, okay, that was it. Those are, the, those are the two questions. They're the only two questions. Okay. Yeah. Any other strategic questions? I love questions. And we'll finish up a, a strategy question or a... Oh, uh, I actually did have another question. What is 
the effect that you've noticed, if any, of eating like vegetable glycerin? I see that ingredient in a lot of it's like not an oil, but it's um it's comes from I think it's a processed processed um fat that comes from vegetables. And it's spelled I think G L Y C E R I N. Yeah, I've just Googled I, it. I see um, it on a lot of packets, but I don't know if it's wearisome. Hmm. Um the answer is I don't know anything about it. But mm-hmm. Google tells me that is a um, a form of sugar alcohol that your body cannot fully absorb. So consuming too much alone or through foods may lead to gas or diarrhea. Sounds mm. attractive. Um, <laughs> given if it's low in fat and it's derived from vegetables, then I am my first response without studying it or knowing about it is that it might be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's my first response, but um, I've not looked into it at all. But if it's very small quantities made to kind of make a food look a little shinier or whatever it's designed for, you know, like a rice cracker, then um, and it's very small quantity, you know, I think that that might be okay. But yeah, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks. This has been awesome. It's been just fun yeah. chatting, you know. I hope people have enjoyed listening to our conversation. You know, we've uh, you know gone over several different things from mindset and manifestation to Bikram yoga to, you know, the knees and different exercises and so on. So I hope it's been helpful. Thank you so much for sharing. I know that you're, um, you know, you're still uh, in a maturing phase of where your healing journey is at. Um, you more than anyone knows that this is a literally a life disease that you've had since mm-hmm. as long as you can remember. And so, um, you know, in that sense, your, your new journey is just literally still at the starting line. And so it's exciting yeah. to see where you'll be in a year, two years. It's certainly really, really exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, I'm like thinking about all these um, goals that I have. I definitely want to make a recipe book, like a Patterson program recipe book, because I love cooking. Um, So that's something I'm going to try and work towards in the next year or so. What about this then? Given that I'm into goals, why don't you put together some examples for us and then we'll do another podcast together and you show us how you've made some of the foods or even if you just have those foods available and we look at the foods you talk about what's in them and how you made them and we'll showcase just a couple of the meals that you've made and that will start to manifest um this this uh this recipe book which will be awesome have you uh, read Eda's book which is a kitchen fairy tale have you seen yeah i've got it at home yeah yes it's It's beautiful it's beautiful yeah so She's had great success with that book and it's so needed because Melissa's looking after three kids. I can't cook to save my life, right? (laughs) All the foods you've seen my program are so simple, right? (laughs) Okay. So between the two of us, um, you know, it's not exactly on the the near to-do list. Yeah. Um, So more foods, please, more recipes that are are friendly would be great. I would love to... um... Yeah, share. It's really, it's so inspiring. I love cooking. So I think as well in the beginning of the program to be able to see, you know, the types of food that you end up graduating to, that might help people. It's not all like steamed potatoes forever. (laughs) Absolutely. 
please do that. I'll support that by, you know, spreading the word and, um, and collaborating with you however you would like. That would be great. And if awesome. anyone doesn't have Ida's book, A Kitchen Fairy Tale, go and grab it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, um, and uh, she's, uh, she's been a huge supporter of our work and sounds like, you know, we'll be doing some great stuff together as well. So thanks so much yeah. for coming on today, Lara. Keep up the thanks, great work. Thanks, Clint. Thanks so much. Have a great And thanks for all your help. It's been so amazing. Your, yeah, your journey is just the biggest inspiration. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.